You're listening to the Digital Barbell Podcast. We believe that if you work hard, you deserve results, and that your training and nutrition should enhance your life, not take it over. Our mission is to provide you with a clear path to health and fitness through education, connection, coaching, and accountability. We are your hosts, Jonathan and Blakely Fletcher, and we are here to serve you. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to this podcast and leave us a five-star review so we can reach more people. You can find us daily on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Digital Barbell. Now, let's get to today's topic. All right, guys, welcome to the Digital Barbell Podcast. Thanks so much for being here. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can see we are not in our home office. We are out on the road. In We're the in camper. our road office. We're in our road office. It's been a very productive day, our first day out on the road. Mm-hmm. We're going to be out for a little bit. If you don't follow us on Instagram, you should because we'll be kind of documenting. And uh, I'm going to be including content about our travels in our emails if you're not on our email list. No. So if you have any interest <laughs> in Airstreams, camping, all how that. How to stay fit on the road, how to work, be productive on the road, maybe. Yeah. Just all that kind of stuff. Follow we're going to be along. figuring it out. Yeah. We'll give you the real deal. Today, uh, we worked from here. I had to stand outside at like a makeshift desk. My back kind of got bothered sitting in the truck for so mm-hmm. long driving yesterday, which is kind of a bummer because it was feeling so good. Yeah. But anyway, uh, we got a good workout in, got a lot of work done. I'm already at uh, yeah. 11,000 steps. We started the day with like a, a like a one a mile and a half walk on the beach with the dogs, which was awesome. Then, you know, before breakfast even. And they have a little mini room yeah. here for a fitness room. It has like a treadmill, an elliptical, a machine mm-hmm. that, you know, you can do with like the leg extensions, the pulleys, all that stuff. And then they have a good variety of dumbbells. I enjoyed I'm using that machine, actually. I haven't used a machine Yeah, you're going to so be long. sore from that. <laughs> yeah, I did a lot of things I've never done in a very long time. Yeah. Um, we have a sponsor for today. But before I get into the sponsor, let's talk about what this episode is. Sometimes we like to go back into older episodes because we know that there's new people finding the podcast mm-hmm. all the time and pull out an episode from the past that new people might never even find because it's chock full of valuable mm-hmm. content. And we're, I took two episodes with strength coach Andy Baker and I mashed them together. It was originally one interview, but it was just so good and had so much information that we separated out into two. Those two episodes are by far the most popular podcast episodes we've ever put up, which is awesome. It's a little bit deflating because it's, you know, it wasn't like just you and I sitting around talking <laughs> being the most popular episode. But anyway, um, yeah, so we're bringing that back. I put them together into one episode and we're going to rebroadcast that interview. Since Andy is a strength expert, he was actually <clears throat> co author of. Um, <laughs> the blue book. What is the starting strength? Starting strength. Yeah. Starting strength. And um, co-author of Practical Programming with mm-hmm. Mark Ripito. He knows his stuff. We talk about you know how strong is strong enough. What does it take to maintain your strength? What are the trade-offs if you want to continue to get stronger? Mm-hmm. Why do a lot of people do things that actually never make them stronger? Anyway, just all a really good, good information. <laughs> really good information. Yeah. Okay. Back to so that's going to be coming up. But back to the sponsor. We're sponsored by Happy Hour. Oh yeah. As you, we're staying at this RV park down here. RV in resort. <laughs> resort. Look at the view. I, I mean, I guess to have a to call it a resort, you have to have a pool. You have to have laundry. You have to have palm trees. You have to charge a certain amount per night. <laughs> But this particular place we're staying is just chock full of super high-end RVs, and mm-hmm. people go all out on the decorations of their own little Yeah, spaces. so this space, we've been here before, it's like each spot is privately owned, and then, like, I guess, you know, the 
the RV resort rents them out for the people who wouldn't like, they're like, Hey, I don't want to use this space for these months. Yeah. Rent it out for me, which I think is super cool. But it's like a little neighborhood because everybody has their own individual character. So they mm-hmm. decorate their own spaces. They have their own like yard. Like we have a little cabana with like four Adirondack chairs and ours. And then like a bunch of little plants and you know, you know, it's just cool. Yeah. I mean, people go all out like with the signage flags. and like, like it's, it's cool engraved plaques with their name and where yeah. they're from and there's all these flags that say like it's happy hour somewhere or meet us at well the happy hour is because we pulled in yesterday and there's an airstream across from us and then actually two airstreams across from us and like just a couple in here because we are surrounded by bigger bigger rvs and we got invited to our first airstream happy hour last night as we pulled in which was super cool and so yeah, they were very nice we got to t- they were all from canada we got to talk to them about like their travels and all the things that they've done and we're super newbies at this and they've been doing it forever yeah. so it's really it was just really fun like yeah it was it's, it's just so funny like i mean i love 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 where we live but i'm like we roll in and like i got into a conversation with our neighbor from minnesota and then those people i'm like i've talked to more people here than i do at home and it's just like working from home and stuff i think it is it is a very big perk of being able to do this and work from various places because just walking around you talk to people all day long like we just walk the dogs and like there's just people walking all over with their dogs and yeah. stuff it's like i guess it's just like being in a little neighborhood yeah for sure so it's everybody's cool. real close together and there's tons of people and it seems like most people who stay here stay here for months like that they come down from i mean you if you walk around you look at the license plates it's like vermont minnesota kansas it's all yeah. the cold states from, yeah. and they uh you know hunker down here like, yeah come down corpus christi texas <laughs> yeah Awesome. So, so there. Thanks for happy hour. Yeah. It's only uh, it's only four thirty right now, so it's, it's a little early. Thirty Although minutes. Did, till. I, last dog walk, I did see some people already indulging. So <laughs> I guess it's five <laughs> o'clock somewhere. <laughs> All right. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube, you're gonna get just the audio of this interview with Andy Baker mm-hmm. because we did record video, but because of our pokey slow internet back in Wimberley, the video came out really bad. So I just didn't mm-hmm. save the video version of that. So we'll put a little graphic up on the screen. To take up your time but it's well worth watching slash listening to this episode mm-hmm. even if you're on youtube only all right all without right. any further ado here's my interview with andy baker andy baker is the owner of kingwood strength and conditioning and the host of the baker barbell podcast he's also the co-author of practical programming for strength training with mark ripito and the barbell prescription with jonathan sullivan thanks for being here andy thanks for having me i appreciate it so, um, so Blakely and I found you and your work through starting strength back in 2014, 2015, somewhere around then, but you've been in strength training and the strength training game for much longer than that. How did you go from combat tested Marine to a strength and conditioning professional? Give us the story about that. Well, I actually started the strength and conditioning, um, journey before I ever even, uh, entered the Marine Corps. That was kind of like this little break that I had in my, uh, strength training career was just, um, to go do four years in the Marine Corps and, um, you know, see some, uh, see some action overseas and and that sort of thing. But, um, I started, uh, you know, right out of high school, you know, that I knew that's what I wanted to do. And, uh, when I went to uh, right out of high school, went to Texas A&M, um, was in the exercise science program, um, did my first internship, um, actually here locally at a high school at 19 years old. So my first coaching experience, I was still a teenager myself. 
Um, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, obviously, at the time, but, you know, was in front of people, um, you know, at least telling them what to do at the time. And um, even even uh, even active duty, um, you know, in California and such, I was uh, I was still coaching people wherever I could um, em- employed at local gyms there in the area. And then uh, as soon as my uh, as soon as my enlistment was over, I, I started full time, you know, as a as a strength coach, as a personal trainer. Um, you know, back here in the Houston area, working at different gyms and that sort of thing. And, you know, did that for a little while. And I, I was pretty, pretty quickly realized that I didn't want to be a big box commercial gym, personal trainer, that that wasn't uh, what I, I had my own idea of how I wanted to do things. And, and, um, you know, so it didn't take me long to, to exit that scene and, and open my own facility. Um, and I did that in the, the late part of 2007 and really got going in early 2008 uh, with my own facility uh, here in Kingwood, which is just north of Houston. And I've been doing it ever since. And, you know, I, those early, the early years I was, you know, 100% all in on the gym, you know, seeing clients all day long from 5 o'clock in the morning till 9 o'clock at night. Did that for a few years and then, you know, started getting into the online sphere of things. And then that really picked up when I met uh, Mark Ripito um, and we linked up. And um, and then, you know, now it's kind of I split my time with kind of with the online coaching business as well as with the uh, I'm still doing the brick and mortar coaching thing. So that's, uh, you know, like I told my wife, it's like I'm I'm still trying to figure out what I be what, what I want to be when I grow up. Um, but I think I'm, now at 40, I think this is it. How did it come to be that you um, got involved in the authorship of those uh, of those books? I assume the barbell prescription came from your connection to starting strength, but um, how how did that turn out to be? Where you were asked to be the co-author of practical programming? So, um, Rip was at the time. Rip Mark Ripito had already he he wrote. Um, uh, the flagship copy of kind of, uh, of, of all this stuff, starting strength, um, the first edition, I believe he wrote that in 2005 and around that time he was still associated with CrossFit. Um, so not a lot of people knew who he was, um, certainly before his affiliation with CrossFit, nobody really knew who he was. He was just kind of an obscure gym owner in Northern (laughs) Texas, which if you've ever been to Wichita Falls, it's kind of like Mars, you know, in a way. So he didn't really have a name, but through his, they brought CrossFit brought him in as a subject matter expert, um, at the time of, of strength training, barbell training or whatever. And, um, that, that really gained him a lot of notoriety, you know, kind of just in a, but in a small knit CrossFit was not nearly as big then as it was now, that sort of thing. And so I started following, uh, Mark CrossFit was real big in the military at the time. And so through CrossFit, I became aware of, of him. And I was, you know, as a strength training guy, I was drawn to, that side of the, uh, of things more so than the burpees and, you know, you know, all that sort of stuff. But, (laughs) um, I started, I started following rip. Yeah, exactly. I started following rip. And, um, at the time there was no starting strength.com. Um, there was, he was, he was a contributor on a forum known as strength mill. Um, and I don't know who ran strength mill. It was just some guys and it's, it, he actually bought strength mill and turned it into starting strength.com. But uh, rip was just, he was a moderator on a forum. Um, you know, and at the time, you know, social media was, there was no Instagram, Facebook wasn't what it then wasn't what it is now. So that's where, you know, meatheads went to go hang out was on forums. And so I found myself on the strengthmill.com. There wasn't a lot of traffic on it. So rip was, he was very active though, as a moderator in this forum, and I was in there all the time and, you know, I linked up with him and 
we, you know, guys from Texas kind of have a connection a little bit. And, you know, I, I kind of told him, Hey, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a uh, started starting my gym here in Houston and I, I'm really digging all the barbell stuff and I'm really into it myself. And I've been using it with my clients, you know, in, in, uh, the gym setting. And that was part of the reason I wanted my own facility because at the time, you know, commercial gyms, you, you had like 20,000 square feet and like one power rack. And it just, it really wasn't conducive to what I wanted to do. Um, you know, they wouldn't let you deadlift on the floors and that sort of, that's, that's changed quite a bit in the commercial gym setting. But at the time that, that type of training was frowned upon and that's what I wanted to do. And so when I opened up my facility, I was, you know, um, I was always communicating with Rip about this stuff and I was implementing his programming, you know, with starting strength with my clients, like from day one, squats and deadlifts and presses and bench presses and running people through the starting strength, novice linear progression and that sort of thing. And at, at the time, because, you know, I was at least to, um, to his knowledge, I was really the only guy doing this in a commercial setting uh, other than him you know, running, there were probably other guys that were, he just did, wasn't in communication with him. So, but he was in communication with me. So I was always talking to him about it on the forum. And then we kind of started connecting privately, um, and talking and, and everything was just training related. It was not business related or anything. It was just me trying to learn from him about how to refine this, um, you know, this novice program. And then some of the, some of the intermediate programming ideas that he had put out there, the early, versions of things. I don't know how familiar your audience is with things like the Texas method and that sort of st stuff. And so, you know, I was working all that stuff with, with people, but, and with, with more importantly, I was doing it with regular people. Mm -hmm. I wasn't doing this with power lifters and Olympic weightlifters. I was doing this with the general public, moms and dads, high school athletes, a pretty, uh, uh, um, you know, older people. And so I was learning from rip, but I think he was also learning from me in that I was, you know, the more a method gets exposed to people, you, you take a method or a program and you do it with 10 people and you learn something. You do it with 100 people, you learn more. You do it with 1,000 people, you learn a lot. And so mm -hmm. the more his methodology was exposed to more people through me and other people, there were a lot of CrossFit gyms doing similar stuff, but at, I was I just happened to be the one that was in a lot of communication with him. And I think we were kind of learning from each other. I think I probably learned more from him than he did for me. But you know, I think I was, I did, uh, I did some things, you know, putting, putting his stuff into practice, um, you know, and, um, you know, between the two of us, we just bounced a lot of ideas off of each other and that sort of thing. And then at the, that we had a good relationship. We met in person a few times. He came down here in the Houston area and did some CrossFit um, uh, seminars and, and had me in and, you know, I participated in those and, you know, we, we personality wise, I'm probably one of the few people in the world that gets along really well with rip. Um, you know, so <laughs> we're, we kind of hit it off on a personal level as well. And then when it, a few years into our relationship, he said, you know, he goes, we need to rewrite practical programming. He said, it's, it's good, but there's a lot of stuff in there we need to redo just because we've learned a lot and we need to take a lot out and we need to, um, we need to add a lot in. And he goes, I, I, I want you to help me do it. And he said, so we're going to, we're just going to scrap the whole thing and start from the beginning. And that's what we did. And, um, that makes, yeah. you know, writing a book with Rip, it's, it's an experience. Uh, wow. Um, you know, and, um, you know, he'd call me at, people that don't know Rip don't realize he operates on a different, um, schedule than the rest of humanity. Um, you know, so him, like he, he operates late at night and, and, uh, you know, he, he'd call me at, you know, 1130, 
you know, at night and go, hey, Baker, what's this bullshit you put on, you know, page 72? Well, why'd you say it like that or whatever? And I'd be like, what? Dude, I'm asleep. I got to be at work at five o'clock in the morning. But that's, you know, so, now, you know, now nowadays I'd probably tell him to go get lost. But at the time it was like, you know, if Rip called, I'd jump yeah. up and be in front of my computer and, you know, be editing documents at midnight or whatever. And so that um, was an experience, but it, it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot from it. Um, you know, and, um, I go back and flip through the book from time to time now, and I'm still proud of the work that we did on it. And yeah. I think there's a lot of good stuff in there. There's obviously stuff I'd like to go back and refine and change and all that, but you can kind of do that into infinity. Um, you know, and so I'm, I'm happy with that. And then a few years after that is when, um, we got into, I, you know, we, we, uh, the, the, the movement kind of, um, it kind of, it, it, it kind of went a direction where it, it wasn't something that we necessarily planned. And it was the same way with my gym. Uh, I, you know, I got really heavily involved with working with older people, you know, people over, we'll say over 50, which as, as 40 now, 50 doesn't seem that old, but, um, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, that became a huge portion of who I was training at my gym. I didn't aim for that. It's just, that just happened. That's, that's who came, that's who stuck around, that's who saw the most benefit, that's who referred friends and family. Um, and so, um, and the movement as a whole was seeing that trend in that the people that were coming to the seminars were older, uh, the people that were reading the books and, and the message that we had about strength and, um, you know, getting away from a lot of the other stuff that the fitness industry offers and really just talking about strength and its impact on health and quality of life and that sort of thing. It really, um, it really resonated with an older crowd. And so we, and, and the, the problem is work, working with an older crowd is that there are, there are differences in working with people that are in the, say their 60s, 70s and 80s than with a very healthy homogenous population of 25 year olds. Um, and so there's a lot of modifications that, that we tend to make and, and that sort of thing. And so that's where we decided, you know, it's, it's probably worth it to do a, a separate text strictly for this population, you know? Um, and a lot of the, a lot of the materials the same that's in, that's in, you know, the way that we coach the lifts and all that's the same, but there's a lot of modifications that have to be made. And also we wanted something that older people would pick up, you know, that's, it, that's just a, uh, you know, people, older people at the time, they see a book on strength training they're not going to pick it up. They see a book that says strength training for life after 40, they pick it up. So you got mm -hmm. to do something to make them pick it up and read it, you know? And, yeah. um, and that's, I think we did a, a good job on that as well. And Rip was, um, you know, he, he farmed that one out mainly to me and, um, Dr. Jonathan Sullivan, he took care of, a and Sully did a masterful job with that book on, I did a lot of, if you read that book, it's kind of divided into two parts. The, the beginning is the why, um, and then the, you know, the, the latter half of the book is kind of the how. So I did most of the how and Sully did most of the why, um, you know, and he did a great job of kind of blending the science of it um, and him being, kind of, you know, a really credentialed um, mm -hmm. medical expert helped um, with that. Um, and he, but he made it a readable, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't reading an exercise phys textbook because nobody's going to read that. It might be correct, but nobody's got to read it. So. We wanted something that the challenge of the book was we wanted something that, you know, uh, the head of an exercise physiology department would pick up and read and respect the work as not being a fluff piece. But we also wanted something we could give to my mom and she could read it and understand it. And that, that was a challenge. But and Sully did. I don't think people realize what a what a masterful job he did on that book.
Yeah, it's a great book. He's a good follow on social media too. He does a great job of, you know, doing what you just said. I point people to his. People always go, how come you don't have like a YouTube channel like for older people? And I go, because Sully does it better than I would. So just go follow him, you know, and and he (laughs) he really does. And he's a, 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 and and, and when you're trying to get new people to do it, um, you know, you can say what you want about doctors and, you know, kind of, um, you know, appeal to authority or whatever. But the fact that Sully is a, is a, a, a an established medical professional with decades of experience and you know an MD and a PhD. People listen to that, regardless of whether we think that's a reason why people should listen to it or whatever. The, the reality is, you take an older person that's on the fence about this when their doctor, you know, or a doctor tells them that not only can they do it, they should do it. Um, it that, that's very powerful, and um, yeah. and he recognizes that, you know, and and that was one of our biggest challenges you know, historically working with older people was the damn doctors, you know, we're always telling them just, you know, go light, take it easy, just walk. And, you know, they were, that's changed. Luckily it's been a bottom up movement, but that's changed. And a lot more doctors are a lot more supportive now of older people lifting weights. But for years, I mean, that was a big challenge is somebody's doctor told them, you know, don't lift weights because you're going to hurt your back. There wasn't a lot you could do to say to them to argue with them. You know, it was a tough sell after that. Yeah, don't even get me started on some of the nutritional advice that uh, MDs are giving clients out there. <laughs> it goes along with the that you know, that hasn't improved. That that has not improved. Um, but the yeah. at least the exercise, at least they're at least they're letting advocating for people to do some weightlifting now. So we'll we'll take our wins where we can get them. Yeah, you talking about um, Wichita Falls Athletic Club kind of gets me in the mood to go put on some smooth jazz when I go work out later. That's one of the things I remember about that gym, and also the bench, also the benches that are covered in like car upholstery because they've been around so long. Yeah, and now they've got wooden benches there, I think. But it's yeah. um, you know, yeah, Wichita Falls is it's. I mean, the whole the whole town is just. Uh, I don't know. There's just something about it. I mean, I enjoy it every time I go up there. Um, but yeah, that's, it's, it's, it's always fun to go, to go hang out with them. It's just, they just do things differently up there and I love it. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. So, you know, my, my journey with starting strength was kind of similar to a lot of people. I think where, you know, I ran the, the novice linear progression. I added a ton of weight to my lifts in a short amount of time. And then eventually I had a small injury, not small, but I had an injury and eventually kind of shifted a lot of my focus into more aesthetics versus just continuing to get stronger. And at the same time, Blakely owned a CrossFit affiliate. So that was, you know, part of my training and her training at the time too. And you know, one of the things I like about you and your content and your training is that you, you don't specifically cater just to one person. Maybe your background was mostly in strength training, but you understand about training for physique. You know, that conditioning has to be a part of it. You know, you have to make it actually fun for people to, to, uh, to keep up with. So I like that you, you understand that whole thing specifically. You don't have to train just for one thing unless that's the sport that you're competing in. So, you know, with your general people that come into your gym, do you find that that's what most people want is a mixture of everything. They want to be strong, but they also want to be fit and actually look, you know, like look the part as well. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, that's just the reality of working with, um, the general public, you know, and you guys as, as having a background, like with CrossFit, I mean, the reality is there is people, they won't necessarily say it because sometimes there's like a, they're embarrassed to say it or, or whatever. But even a lot of CrossFitters, they were doing CrossFitter, CrossFit because of the fact that they felt like that would give them the look that they wanted. They weren't necessarily, 
they didn't necessarily care about their wad times or elite fitness or whatever else. They, 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 this is what they would say. But, you know, the fact that the, you know, CrossFit early on got people into it because of the promise of a better, a better physique. And the fact that the fact is, is that it really did work. It wasn't, it wasn't a marketing gimmick, like a lot of, um, you know, like a lot of, uh, um, you programs. Know, a lot of fitness programs are. Yeah. I mean, this CrossFit really did. If you actually went into a CrossFit gym and you started squatting and deadlifting and doing the Olympic lifts and running sprints and doing intervals on the rower, I mean, your body composition was going to change. Um, and, and people saw that. So there was a reality to it. And that's what it wasn't, you know, a movement can't get that big necessarily all through just marketing and PR and BS. It just, it wouldn't have the shelf life. Um, but the reality is CrossFit's lasted because to some degree it works. I mean, there's things about CrossFit I don't like, but the reality, the reality is, is that at its core, it's, it's a, it's, it's pretty good. It's better than a lot of the stuff that's come through the, the pipeline in the fitness industry. Um, and so that's, that's the reality of why most people get into, um, fitness, uh, or, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, personal training or join a gym or whatever. That's always a component is the aesthetic part of it is always a component, People always, if you're going to invest the time and the money into lifting and putting in that hard work, um, most people would like to look fit. I mean, there's, there's, that's just, and I don't think it's necessarily anything to be ashamed of. I mean, it's a, um, it, it, it improves your quality of life in a way. It impro- improves your self confidence. I've talked about that with athletes before, where, you know, when we train an athlete, you know, their physique, does that matter? You know, not necessarily in the, it's a reflection of what they can do for sure. But the reality is, is even an athlete having, you know, a, a great physique is a self is a huge self-confidence booster and confidence has a lot to do with how we perform. Um, and so just looking in the mirror and being happy with what you see has has positive ramifications across, you know, just your your mental attitude, the amount of, you know, looking in the mirror and being very, very unhappy with what you see brings it's a, it's just another stress that we have on top of us. And for a lot of people, it's, it's just one more thing that might be, you know, things aren't going well with their family, aren't going well with work. And Oh, by the way, they're, you know, they're really fat and out of shape. I mean, that's just, that's a, that's a, um, you know, it's just a kind of a mountain of negatives that starts to build Mm -hmm. up. And so, um, if you can, you know, if you can improve that and people look in the mirror and they're really happy, man, that, that positivity, it, it's like infectious to everything else in your life. Um, their outlook on their attitude is better. Their, their outlook on life is more positive. Their self-confidence is better. And, you know, the reality is, is that if you're doing the things that are going to achieve, you know, a better physique, a good physique, it's going to improve your health. I mean, a, 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 a good physique is just a combination of having a lot of muscle mass and, and a low and a lowered amount of body fat. So it looks good in the mirror, but it also is, is a reflection of, of being able to like with athletes, it's a reflection of being able to perform well. Um, but it's going to have a positive impact on your health, not just your mental health, but your physical health there, you know, having more muscle and low body fat is a good thing, you know? And so it's, um, and like you said, the, the strength numbers, you know, getting stronger is important. And that's going to be at the heart of improving your physique is getting stronger for most people. Um, but that has, that also has a, a, you know, people that have been doing it for a really long time. There's, there's a ceiling on that, um, you know, for how much longer can you continue to get stronger? So people want to maintain their strength, but at the same time, they want to have a motivation for going into the gym. They want to have some rabbit to chase some sort of goal. And at a, at a certain point, people hit a ceiling on, well, I just can't add, any more weight to the bar or they get to the point like where I got to 
And it's like, yeah, you know, I could get stronger a little bit, but the stronger you get and the longer that you train, what, what happens is you hit this, you hit kind of this nexus where the amount of work that you have to do to achieve smaller and smaller increments of progress becomes not worth it, mm-hmm. you know? And so if you're having to put in, you know, you get to a certain level, it's like, and it, and it also not only, not only does these tiny little increments of progress get harder and harder to achieve, but they become less measurable in their effect on your daily life. Um, you know, when you work with a new person and they can barely squat their own body weight, and you work them up to being able to squat a 45 pound bar that has, that actually has a huge impact on their quality of life. Now you fast forward a few months and they can squat 135. That has a huge impact on their quality of life. You get them up to, you know, 135 and then 185, 225, 315. You keep walking them up in these numbers and every, every bigger increment of progress that they get is generally more and more improvement in both the way that they function and that the way that they look. But then it levels off after a certain – now, at what number does it level off? That's impossible to say because it varies with everybody. But once those – you know, like for me, I got to like the mid-500s on my squats, like 550, 555. Could I have continued to train and gotten to 565, 575? Probably. I knew what to do and I probably still had – you know, I felt like there were still some things I could have done. But what it was taking out of me physically to do that and also the return on – its contribution to the quality of my life was actually a negative. You know, at that point, I'm, I'm more tired. I'm more sore. I'm more beat up. I'm risking more injury. I'm committing more time to this endeavor. That's actually, you know, that extra 10 pounds at that level is not, I'm not feeling, I'm already, I can, as Rip would say, I can already put the lawnmower in the back of the truck. You know, (laughs) I can, I can already all the daily life stuff that we talk about that we want to be able to do. We want to be able to, you know, uh, do physical tasks and play sports and play with our kids and have energy and and lift up heavy things around the house without help. And, you know, all that, all that type of quality of life stuff at a certain point, your weightlifting has, you can already do that. And so doing more, if you're not a competitor, if you're not competing, you're just chasing numbers for the sake of numbers. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying, but, but every, every person hits a certain point and they have, you have to put it in the context of your whole life about what your priorities are, you know, um, and you just say, you know, at this point, the juice isn't really worth the squeeze. And yeah. I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with saying that, you know, when you're at 135, you're not there. I can tell you that. But you get to a certain <laughs> point, um, you know, and you just keep be- beating your head up. And I tried a lot of different, you know, I, I experimented with a lot of different training methodologies, um, you know, over over the years. And I, and I felt like I had a, you know, a reasonable knowledge of what I was doing. And I kind of kept... I would kind of peter out at the same, about the same spot, regardless of the approach that I used. So it started kind of clicking with me, you know, my late thirties, I said, you know, I may, this may be kind of where I'm at. This might be, yeah. you know, um, my, my limitation, um, in you, terms of you reached the point what where I was willing like, to commit to it. The sacrifice of what you're going to have to do to get to the next level outweighs the potential gain that you're going to get from it. It's, you know, it's a self-imposed yeah, exactly, plateau. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I don't, I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with that because, um, no. and then at that point you go, okay, well, what, what am I going to do? Cause I'm not going to just going to quit. I love to lift. Um, I love to lift. Um, and, but you have to kind of change your focus a little bit and start, um, you know, whether you want to, 
um, you know, just it, for me, it was, it's very hard to just, um, and this is a lot of people struggle with this. I can tell from having to deal with the clients, a lot of people struggle with the idea, the concept of maintenance. Um, it's hard to program for maintenance. It's and um, you know, if you just go in and start having easy workouts, well, you lose a lot of ground. I mean, so to maintain a certain level, um, to maintain your peak strength is not necessarily feasible. That's actually really, really, really hard to maintain a peak. Um, mm-hmm. And so maintenance sounds easy, but it's not always. That's why I talk to a lot of my athletes about the, the, the concept of having both a floor and a ceiling in terms of your strength level. You know, so let's say talk about me, like my ceiling was somewhere in the mid 500s for squatting. Um, which is better than average, but it's certainly not elite at all. Uh, I mean, it's not, not elite by any stretch, but then I, you know, I want to have a, I want to have a floor too. Um, I know I can't maintain that peak, um, kind of with a minimalist approach. Um, but what's the level where I just don't want to let myself drop below and whether that's from a health standpoint or just a personal pride standpoint or whatever, you kind of have to establish that. And then your, your maintenance kind of has to be to maintain the floor, not necessarily to maintain the ceiling. Um, and then you branch off and take that strength that you've built over the years and apply it to other stuff, you know, whether that's sports or CrossFit or, you know, there's a, there's a number of things that you can do. Um, but you, you know, um, it's, it, 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 it can be a difficult mental transition to, to go into the, the, uh, I'm not climbing upward anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, and a, for was, a lot of people, they, they may, it was a mental struggle for me when I got to the point where I could no longer add five pounds to the bar twice a week and, you know, had to make things more complicated and settle for slower progress. And then eventually kind of shift what my goal was altogether. Everybody else in the gym, it was our garage gym at the time was still, you know, on their linear progression. I had to go a different direction, but it turned out for the best, but yeah, I totally agree. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. And for, uh, for a lot of people, it's, you know, the, the, uh, the PRs become, you know, you're for a really advanced athlete that's been training for decades or multiple decades, you're looking at PRs a couple times a year, maybe. Um, and there's, there's athletes that train hard that don't, that go a year without setting a PR, you know, what the big thing that more advanced athletes have to, uh, what derails almost everybody is injury. That's, that's just, that's just the, not necessarily catastrophic or major injuries, but when you're trying to, um, when you're trying to maintain a peak, um, that's at the, the limits of your genetic ability, um, you know, injuries and having a setback of six weeks or a month or whatever, that's, that's what really sets you back. Um, and then it takes a long time to, to work back up to that. Um, and so trying to, trying to do all that and stay healthy and not, and not get injured. Um, that's, that's part of the riddle that you have to solve as a, as a coach when you're working with more advanced athletes is how do I, how do I take this guy that's been training for 10 or 20 years? That's very, very, very strong. He's, he's approaching the limits of his potential, but he's not there yet. And we think we can squeeze out a little bit more. Um, but you know, when you're working at those limits, things, things break, you can do things. It's not, and it's not necessarily bad form or mistakes. It's just, you know, the stress that you're imposing on the body day in and day out, um, that's a, that's a trick that you, that's a, a riddle you have to solve is, and that's, a, you know, that's one reason, um, you know, people work with coaches to begin with is, is to, is to keep them progressing, but also keep them safe and healthy. Um, a lot of your advanced athletes don't know when to, don't know when to stop, don't know when to dial it back. So, you know, with the, with the good athletes, the good lifters, my job is always to rein them in, you know, yeah. if you're, if you're having to push people, they're not, I w- they're not going to, they're only going to make it a certain, um, 
they're only going to make it so far in their lifting career with the, with the, yeah. the good ones, the really good lifters. It's always a question of, no, you got it. You got to take this light week and they, they'll, they'll come up with reasons. They don't want to take the light week and you got to tell them, nope, you're taking the light week. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the ones that don't, that don't, you don't make it so far. They're asking for the light week. Yeah. <laughs> right. Always looking for the easy way and that's, out. That's, that's true in a lot of sports. That's yeah, that's true in a lot of sports. Um, you know, so I've heard other coaches say, say that, that were, that were, you know, other sports, it's like, you gotta, you gotta tell your fighter or your basketball player or whoever it is that you coach, like, nope, we're done for today. Go home. You know? Yeah. So I do want to, um, hone in on some of your expertise here for our audience and kind of talk about, you know, if, if our, if our little avatar here wants to be strong, but they also want to, you know, also look like they lift, they're going to have to train for strength, but they're also going to have to train probably specifically for hypertrophy in certain ways and certain parts of their training. So I want to kind of talk about what are the main differences between strength training and, and training for size, muscle growth, hypertrophy, but then what is the, what are some of the overlaps also in the best ways for people to uh, kind of get the best of both worlds? So I know this is something, you know, a lot about, yeah. so I want to start by, um, just talking about, give us like the cliff notes version of what makes us stronger in general versus what does not make us stronger. Well, you have to, you re- this is where you really have to, you really have to define, Strength. I mean, we, we define strength as force production, but we have to really define um, how we're going to measure that, you know, and that's that's in, like if you're a competitor in powerlifting, that's easy. You measure force production on your squat, bench and deadlift. Um, now, those are kind of arbitrary lifts. Like, I mean, somebody just decided at some point that powerlifting was squat, bench and deadlift. And those are the three lifts that we're going to contest. Um, and those are, you know, turns out that's pretty good measure of of the, the body's ability to produce force, you know, um, you know, maximal force production is done for a one rep max. And so if, but you have to define, you know, if you're not, a, if you're not a power lifter, you, then this people really screw, screw this up. And it's, it's not a point people should gloss over. You have to really define what metrics you're going to, um, you're going to use to define what, what strength is Mm -hmm. because it's not enough to say, I just want to get stronger. And that's, this is where people, um, they, they really mess up is because they go, well, I just want to get strong. I don't want to be a power lifter. I just want to get stronger, stronger on what? And it's, it's like, it's kind of like in academics, like you have to declare a major. It's like, well, I just want to get smarter, smarter. I mean, at what? I mean, you still, you have to direct your focus somewhere. Um, and it's, it can be arbitrary. It really can. It, it's not. Now you should focus. If you say, I want to be, you know, I want to be stronger. Well, you know, we like free weight barbell movements. Those are the, those are probably the best metrics to use, um, to define what full body strength is. But I tell a lot of my clients that work out alone and in their garage, um, especially if they're older, you know, make your, your test, your sport, your metric that you chase, the over the standing overhead press and the deadlift, you know, that's like, that can be your test because one, they're safe to test. Like, you know, a lot of people, if they work out alone in the garage, they don't necessarily want to test a one rep max on the bench press, you know, even with the safety set up and that sort of thing, it's just, it's not fun getting pinned. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, squats can be a little, especially for your older population, you know, one rep max testing on the squat. Um, you know, it's, it, you don't make it and it's, it's not such a good situation to be in, even with the safeties and that kind of stuff. If people, they get a little apprehensive about it, 
the press is easy. I mean, you go to press the bar up. If it doesn't go, it comes right back to your collarbone. You walk it in. The deadlift, if it doesn't go, usually it comes up about two inches off the ground and then goes back down. So nobody, it's like, it's, it, they're easy lifts to test and they're safe to test. And they're actually a really good measure of full body strength. Um, but, you know, if you want to do squat bench deadlift or squat press deadlift or whatever, you just, you need to decide what the metrics are that you're going to chase. And then you can design a training program around improving those, those movements. But, you know, when we talk about strength training, force production is, you know, there's, it's, it's, it has to be defined by load. Um, you know, and so you've got, if you're going to say, I want to get stronger, it means you've got to, in, 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 uh, you've got to measure your ability to move heavier and heavier and heavier loads over time with a one rep max being the best measure of that. Now, you, do you have to use a one rep max? Could you use three to five rep maxes and say, I'll call it good year. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's, that's pretty good. But re, you know, real, you know, the best measure of, of force production is going to be a, a, a one rep max. And so in order to get better at that, you have to, there's two components of that. One, you have, you, you know, if you want to get better at one rep maxing, um, you need to train heavy. You know, you don't need to one rep max every time because that's a good recipe to, to burn yourself out if you're doing it on the same lifts over and over again. Um, but you need to train heavy. You need to be straining against those heavier loads, 80, 85, 90%. Um, you know, those need to be regular, fairly regular parts of your training program because if you don't, you're missing this neurological component um, that only comes through the lifting of very heavy weights. Um, but then on top of that, there's a, there's a skill component uh, to that. In other words, if you, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to do a bunch of variations of the squat and then come back and train the back squat and expect to be good at it. Like you've, you've got to actually play and practice your sport regularly. So you need to do, define the movements that you want to get stronger at. You need to repeat them regularly enough for most people, you know, one or two times a week minimum is good. Some people respond better to doing them even more often, but I think most people are one or two times a week on the lifts and you need to have some, you know, some heavier training, um, involved with that. And then a lot of what I would call submaximal training on those lifts, which is going to be a lot of work in like the 70 to 80% range. And that's going to be, you know, um, you know, 75, 80% even is even better. Um, and that's your, that's your five rep sets, you know, or four to six, if you want to say that, but you're, you know, basing around like your fives, that's like your builder of your strength. You need a certain volume of that submaximal 75, 80% work. Um, you need a certain frequency and volume on that work on the lifts that you're trying to improve, um, as well as a, a mix of the heavier work in say that 85 to 95% range, um, to kind of train that, that neurological component and that skill of really working and straining with heavier loads. And mm -hmm. those are the, those are the, 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 really the two things is, and it's, it just goes back to specificity, you know, specificity is king. You want to get strong, you know, you know, want to be able to one rep max your squat. Well, train your squat heavy. You know, that's it. You know, you just, you just, the, 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 the difficulty in that is, is the details. It's the devils in the details. How much, how often, how many times per week am I doing this? When I go heavy, how heavy is that? When I do some maximal volume, how much volume is that at what intensity? That's where it can get hard. I mean, we kind of know the overall general formula, but the devil's in the details for a lot of people. Um, yeah. But, you know, most good strength, most good strength programs are all basically doing the same thing. It's just a repackaging of the same thing. The, the vast majority of the work 
on, on a, on a strength, uh, let's just say a powerlifting program that's going to focus on, you know, one rep max squat bench and deadlift. You're going to do probably 70% of your work on that is going to be mid range sets. So sets of, let's say three to six, it's going to be mid range sets of like three to six reps in like the 75 to 85% range. That's going to be the vast majority of, of what you do is a lot of that kind of, uh, we'll call it, it's heavy, but sub-maximal um, yeah. work. And then you're going to have another, you know, 10 or 20% of your work is going to be a little heavier than that. It's going to be that 85 to 95% range. That's your heavy triples, your heavy doubles, your heavy singles. You're going to have some of that in there because too much of that is going to burn you out and you can't do enough volume at those intensities to, to be productive, but you still need to do some of that because if you're going to test yourself on heavy one rep maxes, you need to be experienced enough with those loads for lots of different systems need to know how to accommodate that. Not just your muscles and tendons and all that sort of stuff, but psychologically, you know, how to need to know how to deal with heavy weights. Um, you need the practice of, of straining against those loads. Um, but you only need to do a little bit of that. And the, that then you're going to do a, a lot of volume in the 75, 80, 85% range which is going to be, you know, a lot of three to five rep sets, three to six mm-hmm. rep sets. Almost every power, every good powerlifting strength training program that you see is some repackaging of that. Right. Um, how we you want do the exposure that, to the heavyweight. Like infinite ways. Right. We need the exposure to the heavyweights so. to drive the nervous system adaptations for the hormonal response. And then we just need the training volume at the slightly submaximal loads to accumulate enough stress to get the adaptation to keep us getting stronger and stronger. Right. And it, and you know, and it turns out that the, you know, you can build some, you can build some pretty good, you know, muscle mass, muscle mass is, and I know this is where we're kind of going with the discussion, but you'll, muscle mass is by and large a product of the the amount of food that you intake. Um, (laughs) Training is, now there are good and good and bad ways to, to do it. But, you know, if you, if you continuously drive your lifts up and you, your tonnage goes up over time, you're doing more you know, heavier and heavier weights and more and more, um, you know, not necessarily more volume, but, you know, heavier weights at the same volume over time so that your tonnage, your overall workload is going up and up and up over time. And you're, and you're eating enough, you're not force feeding yourself and, and necessarily getting fat, but just eating enough to support growth. You're going to get bigger doing that as well. Will you have a, will you have a great physique doing that? It depends. You know, this is where people always say, well, if you want a great physique, just get, just get stronger on the big lifts. And, and that'll be all that you need. Uh, as a very raw beginner, there's some truth to that. You know, if you just um, if you just squat, bench, deadlift, press, chin up, and you've never done anything before, yeah, your physique is going to improve, and it may, it may improve substantially. Um, guys that build great physiques on that type of program without anything else have great genetics for it, and that's that's the reality of it. Um, the vast majority of people. Um, that you look at guys like, like the, 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 the absolute tip of the spear on genetics, you've got a guy like a bodybuilder, like Ronnie Coleman, um, the guy before he ever started bodybuilding and before he ever even started using anabolics, the guy was absolutely jacked. Um, you know, and he was a power lifter and that's basically what he did was squat bench and deadlift. And he could have easily walked into most local bodybuilding shows and won. You know, there's guys like that in the NFL, the Tyree kills. They don't train like bodybuilders, but they look like bodybuilders, you know, but those guys, there's the Herschel walkers of the world that did, you know, push-ups and sit-ups that look like, you know, in his prime, look like bodybuilders, 
You yeah. know, that, that doesn't mean that the average guy can just go do push-ups and sit-ups and is going to look like Herschel Walker. Like that's like if you go read Herschel Walker, Bo Jackson, those types of guys, they, 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 they used to say, you don't need to lift weights, just do push-ups. Like that's all I do, and look at me. What they didn't realize is that they're, they are, they're not. The rest of us aren't Bo Jackson and Herschel Walker, you know. And so when you have these really, really genetically elite guys, they they will respond really well to a very minimal dose of of training stress, and their physique will respond in a way that doesn't require a whole lot of specificity. Mm-hmm. But for the rest of us that are more kind of genetically average. We may get stronger on certain lifts, a lot of that from the neurological component of just doing a lot of squat benching and deadlifting, but a lot of people are very unhappy with the way that they look when they're just using a very minimalist barbell-only approach. Um, And so if they're wanting to, you know, the the physique development, you generally have to branch out a little bit. Um, And it doesn't mean you completely abandon necessarily the um you know the barbell stuff i think like for what you're talking about is like where's the overlap for the for the you know the the there's a lot of overlap between let's say bodybuilding and a recreational sense i'm not necessarily talking about competitive bodybuilding but let's just say bodybuilding as a proxy for just physique improvement or muscle mass gains or whatever we want to call it non-competitive bodybuilding which is what a lot of people are after you know where how does that overlap with just say getting stronger in a strength training routine, I say that the more of a beginner to intermediate you are, the more overlap there is. Um, and there's not as much, there's not as much differences in the approach of how you get there. The more advanced that you get, the more, the bigger the differences become, you know? Um, so you're, uh, if once you're, once you're already strong, let's say like for a beginner, let's just say, you, you never really lifted weights. It's like, I want to put on some muscle mass. It's like, okay, we're going to basically do something that looks a lot like the starting strength linear progression. We're going to squat, bench, deadlift. We're just going to, we're going to develop that base of strength and muscle mass. And then with, from that base, we're going to use that as a jumping off point to whatever specifically you want to work on. Um, and it's kind of the same thing as like the educational analogy of, regardless of what you want to major in in college as a kid you have to start with the basics of reading writing math science history you know you have to build that base and then then as you you get older and you get more established you get further into that pipeline you have to you know declare a major um you know and when you start college as a freshman and sophomore you're still doing a lot of basics right but with a little bit of specificity towards that major you get towards the end of your undergraduate degree you're doing a lot less basics and a lot more specificity. You get into a master's and PhD program, it's all specific. It's hyper-specific. You're, you're not doing the basics anymore and because so, you've already mastered them and, and those, aren't, those aren't leading you towards being able to achieve that PhD anymore. So it's kind of the same thing with the, the strength training. If you can use that analogy for kind of the strength and bodybuilding approaches that at the beginning, it's all just kind of building a base. And then from that, you get more and more and more specific as you go. But again, it's it's important to declare what your metrics are and what you're trying to work work towards. You know, the vast majority of people that are going to, um, you know, want to pursue both goals, you know, it, it's 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 a lot of it's it's pretty standard. I'm not saying anything revolutionary. It's start your workout off with a basic compound barbell lift, you know, do some do some medium range volume work on that. Um, and then go into kind of a body part specific, uh, sequence from there, 
you know, and that's how most kind of what, what we call power building programs are, are built. It's a, it's a little bit of, it's just a little bit of both. And that's for most mm-hmm. people, that's fine. It, it's not necessarily the best approach for an elite bodybuilder because they have a different set of criteria they're working towards. It's hyper, hyper specific. Um, it's about bringing up individual weaknesses and it's about bringing up weaknesses relative to the mandatory poses that you have to do. People forget about that. For, a, for an elite bodybuilder, it's not just about being big. It's about it's about being awesome in a, in a mandatory set of seven different poses. I think it's seven. Um, and so that's that's a but that's a whole different animal versus I just want to be, <laughs> right. you know, when I go to the block party, I just want to be the most jacked dad there. You know, that's 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 you know, that's that's a that's a different level than the competitive bodybuilder. And you don't necessarily there's some things you can glean from that, but you don't necessarily need that level of hyper specificity that the bodybuilder would. Yeah. I mean, you, you just described our client basically that, you know, wants to be the, the fittest one at the beach that summer or at the pool party or that kind of thing. And, and basically like what you just laid out as the general program that makes that happen is really, if you flip it around, it's the reason that, you know, when somebody walks into your gym or somebody hires us to coach them and we, we know what you just said, like why we can get them such good results, because a lot of times they're coming from doing a workout app on their phone that has them doing, you know, a lot of plyometrics or some, some light weights, not exposing them to, um, heavy enough yeah, loads to actually X. make them stronger athlete next. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's so many out there. And then also, you know, flipping it over to the, the group training side, like, you know, even with CrossFit, yes, you are going to get stronger, but you know, the way that most CrossFit classes are structured, you can't really do a legitimate linear progression. There's people missing days. There's time limitations. The coach can't prescribe everybody's weights. Uh, you can't safely move heavy enough loads in fast paced workouts. And then there's things like orange theory and Peloton and everything else that's popping out. So people, people aren't doing what you just described. They're exercising, they're getting sweaty, they're exposing themselves to some resistance training, but not with the structure that's ever going to give them what they, what they want as far as strength and changes in their body. Yeah. And it's, you know, if you want to, you know, just an inside look at basically how, you know, if you look at somebody, your average client that comes into my gym that wants, like you said, a little bit of everything, I want to be stronger. I want to look better. Um, you know, I want to, I want to better my physique. Um, you know, I'd like to lose some body fat. That's, that's kind of most people, right? I mean, they kind of want a little bit of everything, you know, a, a very basic program that I mean, I, I'd say probably the vast majority of my clients that I have at my gym um, are on a basic like upper body, lower body split. And, you know, and it's kind of like, you know, OK, we've got our um, we come in and, you know, Monday we bench press and we basically do three sets of five or, you know, something like that. But it's it's strength training on the bench press. And then we go into kind of more, let's say, hypertrophy based exercises for, um, you know, the rest of the upper body. Maybe that's a, a, a dumbbell chest press for higher reps and some um, some rows and some dumbbell shoulder presses and some curls and some triceps. And we call it a day. So it's, you know, it's some strength work on the front end and then a little bit of bodybuilding type work um, on the back end. And then a lower body day, they may come in Tuesday and we're going to start with squats and we're going to barbell back squat them for say three sets of five or three triples or something. And then we go to deadlift and we'll deadlift for, you know, a couple of heavier three to five rep sets. And then we may go on to leg extensions, leg curls, calf raises, and abs for the physique oriented work. 
come in Thursday, we may start them with like an overhead press again, like standing overhead press, a few sets of, you know, heavy three to five rep sets. And then it's, you know, chin ups or pull downs and dips and, you know, uh, you know, kind of individualize it for the client, what they can do and what they want to work on. But it's a kind of a bodybuilding style, upper body workout. And then, you know, Friday's workout would be something, you know, similar to Tuesday. We come in and heavy squat or squat variation. Maybe if they squatted on Tuesday, we front squat on Friday. And if they did a deadlift on Tuesday, we do a stiff leg deadlift or a rack pull or something like that on Friday. And then we go into kind of a hypertrophy oriented lower body session and maybe leg presses and lunges or go outside and drag the sled or, you know, whatever. Um, again, it's kind of individualized for each person, but that's, that's basically it. And it's like I said, it's the heavier barbell based work on the front end. That's the strength component. And there's also a muscle building component to that as well, but it's the strength component. It's the free weight movements, the barbell based free weight movements that can be progressed forever that are safe and effective to train at heavy loads in that three to five rep range. And then we do a lot of bodybuilding style based work after that to take care of the, the physique and muscle building goals. Um, you know, a lot of people there, people don't realize like, it, especially if you do things like, you know, we'll, for, to save time, we'll do supersetting a lot, you know, we'll superset say a dips and pull-ups or, you know, dumbbell chest presses and rows, or like even supersetting leg extensions and leg curls. Like sometimes I have people do that kind of stuff in the gym just for, for no other reason, but to save time. But like the, the weightlifting for, for your general population also serves as a great cardiovascular, um, you know, cardiovascular workout as well, you know, for, mm-hmm. for a very elite CrossFitter or, or endurance athlete, you know, that type of work, that type of bodybuilding isolation type work or whatever you want to call it, it's probably not much of a, you know, endurance, um, you know, uh, stimulus, but for the average person that's not in great shape, um, it's, that's pretty good, you know, and then they can supplement that stuff with easy, easy cardiovascular aerobic and anaerobic stuff, you know, outside of the gym, uh, that does not require, um, you know, the presence of a coach to do, you know, the, 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 I always tell my clients, it's like, don't, don't come in the gym in, in my gym and, and focus on the cardio. Like that's easy. You know, that's just, that's just you having the discipline to do it. Um, the, the nuances and the complexity and the stuff that you don't know and will take you a long time to learn is the strength stuff. The strength and the muscle building stuff is where I can, you can leverage my expertise to, to get you faster and better results than you'll get on your own. Um, the cardio stuff on the outside is, you know, and if it's just for general heart health, like you just want to have a healthy heart, like just go on a fast paced walk for 30 minutes, three days a week. Like most of the literature shows that for just basic health of the cardio, now that it's, that's not going to get you into a like elite fitness. And certainly for a CrossFitter, that's not going to satisfy their need to get, you know, get, you know, that I think a lot of CrossFitters, they, they crave that, um, that, that really high intensity anaerobic type of work. Um, and so, but just for, if you're just looking for basic stimulus for, for your health, you know, just start, especially for a beginner, just start there, just go on a walk 30 minutes, you know, 30 minutes, three times a week. And then you can, you can add from there, um, you know, and, uh, but just basic cardiovascular stuff outside of the gym is just more of a matter of discipline than, than knowledge. Um, and then on top of that, it's all diet, you know, the, all the, the physique and the body composition stuff and to a degree, the strength stuff. I mean, the, the diet is not a, is not something that can be overlooked. You know, we, people tend to think of diet. I think the way that like, I think of supplements, 
you know, people always, they always want to come in, like, especially kids, they always want to come in and know about like, well, should I take creatine or should I take branch? Like, and it's like, that stuff is so marginal on, on where you're at now. Um, whatever result you're going to have for that is going to be almost imperceptible, you know? And I think a lot of people, the way that I feel about creatine and branch chain amino acids and glutamine and whatever else that people want to do, I think that's the way that a lot of my clients feel about diet. Like if I got my diet in order, I'd probably do a little better. And it's like, no, no, no. If you got your diet in order, you would be transformed in six weeks. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's, it's people just don't understand the, 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 the critical nature of your, it's, it's a, it's not a, it's not an addition to, or a supplement to the train. It's, it's a hundred percent thing. And that's the reality is, is like bodybuilding, even bodybuilding is a diet contest. You know, it's who can go the longest and start and, and, and you know what I mean? And who can get the, it's not, they're all big and they're all strong. Yeah. I mean, they all carry a lot of muscle mass and a lot of it's, you know, the way they look is a lot of it's genetically determined by tendon attachments and that thing anyway. But the, the it's a leanness contest, which is yeah. all, it's all diet and water manipulation. And for, you know, most of my clients, you know, they, 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 they want, they, when they come in, they, they like the idea of being able to do a bunch of sit-ups every time they come in and that's going to get, get rid of their, you know, get rid of their flabby gut or whatever. And it's like, right. when I hit them with that, that's not even going to make a dent, you know, it's like, yeah. it, it's just, you know, but you have to, as a trainer, as a coach, you have to communicate that to your people that if they're, yeah. if they're not willing to take, you know, even small steps to improving their nutrition, the, the money that they're paying you and the, the time that they're expending in the gym is going to be, you know, it's not a good use of their, their time to ignore their diet. Yeah. Blakely always used to tell people at her, the clients at her gym, you know, it's not about the hour that you spend in here every day. It's about the other 23 that you're outside in the world, making a lot more decisions that affect your physique, health, fitness, all that stuff. than the decision to come here and do thrusters and burpees. I was, I, I love the, the way you put it that, you know, your nutrition is not a supplement to your to your training. I mean, it's an integral part of you, whether you get results or not, that's just the truth. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's a, it's a big limiting factor on, um, and like we talked about with muscle mass, like there's the, the, the training is just a stimulus for the muscle mass. And there's so many guys out there that under eat, they under eat overall calories and they under eat on their, their protein intake and they don't track their diet seriously. And they're trying to use the, they're trying to out program their diet. And because I'm regarded as somebody, I guess, that is a programming expert or knows a lot about programming, sometimes people that reach out to me are frustrated when I talk to them almost more about their diet than I will about their program. But it's like, man, you're trying to, you're trying to use these, 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 you know, higher level math equations or something to try to to, to outsmart your bad diet. You're trying to, well, what if I squatted four times a week instead of three? And, it, and it's like, you're still not eating. Like you're not, you, you can go once a week, twice a week, three days a week, four days a week, it, it, whatever. It doesn't matter. The volume, the frequency, the intensity levels, all this stuff that you're, you're stressing about and beating your head against the wall. And every, you know, they're, they're saying, well, what if I trained it you know, what if I did my squats at 80% instead of 75%? I'm like, you really think that matters? Like that, it, it, like the nuances of this stuff, like they're hoping to crack the code though. They're agonizing over these minutia about, should I do three sets or four sets of this movement? And it's like, that's not your, there's no, you're not going to crack the, 
it's not a Rubik's cube. Like if you just make the right, this right adjustment at the right time, you're all of a sudden going to skyrocket your gains. It's about your food intake more than anything. And if, if that is right and you follow any reasonable, I don't say any reasonable pro, but most good <laughs> programs, whether it's mine or somebody else's are going to work because the reality is like, we're just this kind of ever changing biological system. And people are always like, well, I want to know what's optimal. Well, nobody knows what's optimal. And the likelihood that at any one point in time, we're ever doing what is exactly optimal is very low. I always use this example. It's like, people want to know like, well, should I do three sets or five sets of squats? And it's like, hell, if I know, like I'm going to make my best guess. But the, the reality is, is do I really know whether the optimal dose for you on, on today, you know, Thursday, you know, Thursday, October 13th, at this moment in time, do I really know that three or four sets is optimal for you? One of them is closer than the other one, but I'm just right. making my best educated guess off of my data on you, my data with my other clients over time and what, you know, readings from other coaches and literature. And I'm making my best educated guess on what the optimal training stress is for you today in this hour, but it's no more than a guess. And to any coach that thinks that they can say, well, you know, three sets is better than four or what, like, I mean, it, that's, it, it's hard. It's hard to know exactly. So you're almost everything we do is a ballpark. Now I think, you know, the longer you do it, the better you get as a coach, you get closer and closer to optimal. Um, especially when you work with a client over a long time, like you get better and better at that to know, you know, and you're probably pretty damn close to optimal a lot of the times, but to, to think that you, you, that, you know, at any one time, just to that level of, of detail, the exact sets, reps, level of intensity and everything of what is optimal on a given day is, is very difficult. So, and, but people stress about that kind of stuff without addressing the huge kind of elephant in the room, the bigger picture, which is that their nutrition is a mess or yeah. it's just like their protein intake, caloric intake is just wildly insufficient for the addition of muscle mass. And so to think that you're going to try to outmaneuver that with this magical programming combo is, you know, and people, I'm telling you for having to do this a long time, that's people are trying to do that. Um, you know, and it does, it so doesn't true. work. And it's the, yeah. the, com the common denominator. I've had clients, you know, I work hand in glove. There's a nutrition guy in the industry. His name's Nathan Payton. Um, people that don't know about him, he's the nutrition guy for Brian Shaw, Martin Lysis, the, the, you know, the top strongmen that have ever lived. He's got a, he's got a who's who list of, of professional strongmen that he works with, but also does the nutrition for NFL guys and um, bodybuilders, powerlifters. And I've, me and him, he's local to Kingwood. So we're actually mm. friends. And we share a lot of clients, um, online clients. I get with him and I can tell you that my, my, my a list of clients are the ones that all work with both me and Nathan, you know, and, the, and it's, it's not, the program is not what differentiates who has success and who doesn't it's by and large. It's the, it's, it's the consistency. Um, and it's, and it's the, now there may be some correlation there of, of people that are willing to spend money on both a coach and a nutrition guy, because neither of us are cheap. So if people are willing to invest that much money and time into working with two different coaches like that, um, you know, that may self-select for people that get better results. But I can tell you the, the people that really take their nutrition seriously to the level of hiring a really good coach like that, 
it's not the, the the main differentiating factor is not what program they're on. It's it's their level of attention to detail on their nutrition, and then mm-hmm. and then their consistency in the gym, um, you know. And the nutrition yeah. facilitates that because the nutrition allows for better recovery. It allows for so they're not as sore and beat up all the time. They don't feel like they need to take off days as often, so they can train more frequently. They want to train more frequently because they're the the better nutrition enhances their mood and their positive outlook. Um, they're getting results faster. So they're, so they're more motivated because they're not spinning their wheels. And so it's just, and so it, it becomes a self-perpetuating cycle where the positive, the, the, the positive uh, benefit they're getting from their nutrition and such is feeding the consistency of their training in the gym. And then it, and it's all just, it's just this self-perpetuating cycle. Um, and it's, it's really, really a lot of fun to watch. And then you get frustrated with your other clients that won't, you know, won't address that side of it, of the, the mm-hmm. nutrition side of it. Yeah. It's, uh, your results are hundred percent, your training and hundred percent, your nutrition. <laughs> you can't ignore either. And that's I the reason you know, I we, use that all the time in the gym because it's, it's <laughs> yeah. and that's a hundred percent true. Yeah. And, you know, we, we offer, uh, custom training programs and nutrition coaching, and <clears throat> we don't, we don't do discounts as a company, but we do give people who want to do both and are willing to do both a substantial break for that reason, because we know they feed off of each other. You're going to get better results with, you're going to be more, va- more motivated to make healthy nutrition choices. If you're training and you're, you know, doing proper tra- nutrition, your training is going to make you explode with the results. So yes, everything you said is we jive with that <laughs> for sure. I mean, just, I mean, just me, me using myself as a personal anecdote. I mean, my, my, my consistency in the gym is directly tied to my consistency in the kitchen. It's, Mm -hmm. it's almost never that both of them, they're either both on track or they're both off track. It's very, it's very rare that I'm, I'm, you know, that I'm really, really, really diligent with one and lacking in the other. It's almost always that it's because of that. It's just that, and that's just, that doesn't even have to do with, it's just one discipline feeding another, you Mm -hmm. know, and that transcends all of life, not just fitness. I mean, when my nutrition and my training are on, you know, the, the little lie that I tell myself sometimes that I don't have time to work out because the business is so busy or whatever is just that when my training and my nutrition are on is when I'm the most productive in my business life. You know, and so, and it's, and I think a lot of it is just, I think a lot of it is, goes back to just even just the chemistry, the chemistry that goes on in our brain from having better nutrition. Um, it, it makes us more positive. It gives us more energy and may, I think it makes us more, um, I don't say aggressive, but you know, more, more motivated, whatever it is, but you know, you, you eat bad, you're not paying attention to your nutrition. You get more lethargic, you get more you get more, you know, kind of down and whatever you want to call it, unmotivated, um, you know, and I think when, when those two things are rocking and rolling together, they tend to rock and roll in tandem, not, not yep. one or the other. I mean, how many people do you know, your clients that train, that get off track on their training, you know, you don't even have to ask them, you know, their nutrition went to hell as well, you know, and that's <laughs> it's, a, just it's always a, the, the first thing I do when somebody has an injury, not, not the first thing I do, I'm exaggerating, but an important thing that I do when I, when somebody has an injury is to immediately bring up their nutrition, because now we're going to devote the time, energy, and attention you can't put into your training, into your nutrition, because that's still under your control. Cause I know people's tendency to kind of go into all, the all or nothing yeah. mentality and just throw it all out. 
And that's one, like I'm finishing up a little shortcut right now. And one of the reasons that I'm doing it is because I have a shoulder injury and I can't train several exercises that I want to. And it would be tempting to be like, eh, what's the, what's the big deal? But you know, I'm trying to practice what I preach. One, yeah. one last thing I want to talk about, and you, you already brought this up a little bit. It was just the, the importance of consistency. And I'd even throw patience in with that also. Let's say that somebody, uh, you know, has the goal to be strong and look like they work out. And let's assume that they're taking steps with their nutrition that fall in line with that. What do you find with most people where they start to see, um, some of the physical results that they want as far as a time frame with consistency and patience? Well, it, it does to a degree depend on where they're starting at. Um, and people come and meet me, you know, I'm, I'm meeting people where they're at. Um, I, you know, the vast majority of the people that, that I, that come to me in the gym. Um, so I have, uh, do you guys do in-person training and online training? Just online. Okay. So one of the, it's, it's very interesting. Um, one of the things that I've noticed over the years is that, and this may not be, uh, unique, it may or may not be unique to me. Um, but most of the people that come to see me in the gym, in my brick and mortar practice, most of those people are, are pretty raw beginners. I would classify, they may have joined fitness programs in the past or been members at a gym down the street or whatever, but they've never trained before. And they've never really, they've never developed any consistency. You know, they did a boot camp for two weeks and then quit and they joined this gym, but they never went that type of thing. And so, um, and they, so they're, they're reaching out to a, to a coach because they, they need help and they have no idea what they're doing. And they are, one of the big things that they always talk about is accountability. I need accountability. I need somebody here waiting on me to show up at seven o'clock, um, or I'm not going to do it. And, um, though, so a lot of times those people physically are starting off, you know, f- further, um, let's say, um, you know, in a deeper hole. Um, you know, they don't have any muscle mass. They don't have any strength. They're carrying a lot of body fat. They've never been exposed to the movements. So if they can pick up the technical side of it pretty quick, in other words, if they pay attention and they, they, they pick up what I'm trying to teach them fairly quick on kind of the intellectual side, they're going to get a lot of results pretty fast. Like they're going to see, especially if their diet is in order from the beginning. And sometimes with a beginner, that's a that's an unrealistic expectation that they're going to make that much change, uh, because even going into the gym three times a week for an hour and busting their ass with a trainer, that's a huge lifestyle change for them. Um, and so you may to to think they're going to completely also overhaul their diet. Um, maybe they will, maybe they won't. If they do, they're also they're going to make faster progress. But um, a lot of times with a diet, it, we're just talking about simple steps of better choices. Let's cut out the let's cut out the bottle of wine every night, you know, let's cut out the, let's replace our pasta with vegetables at night. You know, that kind of like, we're just, we're not really putting them on a nutrition program. We're just trying to make them make a handful of better choices through the day. And if they actually do that, it's pretty significant as well. Um, depending on how bad their diet was. So if you can fix, if you can get a really, really bad diet to like 50% better and you can get them coming in three days a week and doing anything, they're going to see results, you know, really within the first few weeks. Um, and then if they do, they're going to get even more motivated and they're going to come, they're going to try even harder. They're going to push even harder. They're going to track their diet even more. And, you know, if they're really, really consistent with that, they can see a lot of results within a few months. You know, it's hard to say what does results mean? You know, if they're really, really overweight and they watch their diet, well, they're going to lose a lot of weight. And if they're not really overweight, they're just kind of soft. 
you know, like a lot of people are, they're not really, you wouldn't classify them as like obese for sure, or even necessarily overweight. They just have poor body composition. They just don't have any muscle and, you know, they're a little bit too much body fat, but it's not, you know, it's not, uh, not horrible. Um, you know, they're going to have big body composition changes though, when they start lifting weights and they start adding some muscle. And, and that's the, one of the good things about being a raw beginner is that that mythical recomp that we talk about actually happens with this population where they actually do build muscle and, and, uh, lose body fat at the same time. It's one of the few times that that's a realistic goal. Um, for somebody that's been training much, much longer, you know, you kind of have to go in phases. You can't, it's very difficult for your, for you to add muscle mass and drop body fat at the same time because one requires a caloric surplus and one requires a caloric deficit. But for a raw beginner, because they're so unexposed to this, it's such a new stimulus, they, they generally will be able to do both where they, they will drop some body fat and improve their muscle mass. And so that's going to transform the way that they look. It's going to transform the way that they feel. It's going to improve their confidence. It's going to improve their attitude. Um, it's going to improve their health. So everything you know, it's rocking and rolling for a few months. And then you get to that point where things start to slow down. And that's what, that's where people really get separated mentally, as far as I'm concerned, in that they, that's where you, you know, people really have to decide, am I in this for the long haul? Um, Have I decided to make this lifestyle, this choice about exercise and diet a lifestyle, you know, or was this just something that I was going to do for a few months and then quit? Um, you know, and it's very disappointing when you see people that don't stay with it. I'd say, uh, you know, one of the hallmarks of a good coach and a good trainer, uh, certainly a good businessman is can you retain your clients? Um, and that's one of the things I, I preach to my clients a lot is like, this is not a, this is not a 12 week program or a, what a, this, like I'm teaching you a lifestyle. And if you want to stay here and do it with me for as long as you can, and as long as I can, then you can do it. And I've had clients, I've had personal training clients in my gym for over 15 years. And <laughs> I never awesome. thought that I never thought I'd have a, a client that was a fit, you know, that had been a client, you know, when I first started out, I didn't think about it at all. But, you know, to think that I have personal training clients that have been with me longer than my, my oldest daughter's 14 years old. And I have clients <laughs> I've been working with for that are, that are, that I've been working with them longer than I've had my own, my oldest kid. <laughs> Um, they were there when my, you know, when my babies were born and they're still there, you know, guys that were, you know, 55 when they started with me are now 70, you know, and that's, it's really special in a way, but it's, it's the accountability part of it. That's why they're there. They like my gym. Mm -hmm. They like me. They like our conversations. They like the, like the accountability, the fact that I keep them improving to the degree that they can, that I keep them safe, that I keep it fun and interesting. Um, that I may, I, I scale the loads and, and the intensity levels of our workout. I always tell new trainers, like the trick when you're working with people, your, your workouts for your clients should be a little bit harder than they would push themselves, but not so hard. They won't come back, mm-hmm. you know? And if that's, that's, that's the hard part, like a lot of CrossFit gyms, I think struggle with that is because of the nature of the training. They're going to have a lot more turnover just because people can't, they can't sustain that high intensity output day in and day out for, for 10 years. Some can, but most people are going to find a way out of that. Um, and so, 
you've got to learn how to push people at the right pace and the right intensity level to keep them coming back. And that's in your interest as a business owner. And that's in their interest as a client, because like we we're talking about, the main thing is consistency over time. The The real positive health health outcomes don't come from what you did this week or this month. It comes from what, what have you done the last five years, the last 10 years, the last 15 years. That's mm-hmm. for the real positive. So whatever you can do as a coach to keep people engaged enough to want to keep coming back to your gym and working with you. And some people, and it's like, you know, your, your gym or your style or whatever is just not their thing. You're not going to mess with hundred percent of the people that you work with, but you're still hoping to teach them the importance of don't treat your fitness journey like a, a, a 12 week program or whatever. Like this is, it's, it's, and I always tell people at a minimum, it's twice a week for the rest of your life. That's your, <laughs> that's your program. You know, if you want, if you want to do more than yeah. that, if you want to go three or four times a week, because you want to you want to push it a little harder and get a little bit more dramatic results but at a minimum you should be in the gym you know hard weight training twice a week for the rest of your life you know doing doing whatever it is that you can do that's your that's kind of your your minimalist behavior um, you know then with the online clients it's a little different in that I'm I'm meeting those people a lot of them are, are further along on their journey than my in-person gym clients. So my gym clients are just starting out. They don't, they don't even know, you tell them, they don't know a squat from a deadlift. They really don't. They don't, you tell them we're going to no, go deadlift. They don't know what that is. Yeah. Um, my online clients, a lot of them are already lifters and they're the guys they're coming They're They're saying, I've been stuck at four Oh five on my squat for five years and I want to get to 500 and I don't know how. And mm-hmm. so I want to look to you. So that's it's that's a totally different thing. So their results might be a little slower because one when one of the things that happens when you take over programming for a more advanced guy, you have to learn them a little bit. Like you have to kind of, and then it takes it takes me as a coach a little bit to kind of see what how they what they respond to training wise. Okay, this worked. Okay, this didn't work. We got to go back and fix this. Like, and it's like with a new person, it, that's actually a little bit. It's actually harder with somebody who's already established because they've already proven that they've gotten themselves to a certain level. And so yeah. you want to try to keep what worked and sep- you want to try to keep those things that worked and separate out what's not working and add in, you know, what it is that you think you can bring to the mix. It's, it's I mean, I've heard that from, from fighting coaches, guys that um, are involved in M- MMA or whatever that, you know, they have a high, a high, very high level fighter that, that changes camps and comes to their camp. Well, they're already a high level fighter. So mm-hmm. you want to you want to try to keep some of the stuff in there that's worked for them in the past and that they're comfortable with. But the reality is they're coming to you because they're not evolving and they're not progressing as a fighter. So you've got to insert your own little tweaks or methodologies or program, whatever it is. You got to insert mm-hmm. your own system into there while trying to maintain the stuff and learn from, OK, this this style works for this guy um, or whatever. So I do a lot of that um, for my online clients. And so, you know, sometimes it's a little slower. Sometimes guys, you know, they, they do something like the novice LP and they're at, you know, 225 or 275 squat or whatever, but, and then they don't know where to go from there. And that's where I take, and I can get them, you know, pretty fast progress usually, uh, cause yeah. it's the whole intermediate programming thing that really throws them. They, the novice that's, program yeah. is, it's, it's spoil, it spoils people because it's so effective <laughs> and it's so simple. But yeah. then when they, yeah, then then once you, it's like it's not just it's not like you just come to a fork in the road. It's like you come to multiple forks in the road after <laughs> that about where you want to go, and it's and it's hard to do that. So you know, it's it's another thing where you just got to define your goals. 
Um, it's usually better to tread on a path that somebody else has already walked when you're a new intermediate, you know, you don't necessarily need to come up with a completely customized individualized thing or like you, it's probably going to be, you know, some form of programming that other people have already done with some success. And then you kind of individualize it for yourself as you go. Um, and so that's kind of, um, you know, but just a lot of times, for that population, it, the, the magic is not necessarily what I do. It's just that they're out of their own headspace and they're not over. They're not. A lot of guys will get stuck in that paralysis by analysis type thing. There's so many mm-hmm. options to choose from and they don't know what to do and they don't yet have confidence in anything because they haven't they haven't ever they don't have enough experience to have confidence in anything. And so coming to a coach and saying, here, I'm going to. I'm going to get my, my, I'm going to take this training out of my own headspace and I'm going to hand it off to you and let you do it for me is that in and of itself is very, very powerful. And even a lot of good coaches do that. A lot of good coaches hire coaches because it's easier to unemotionally and objectively set programming up for an athlete than it is for yourself. Um, Because you have your own biases and your own rationalizations and your own whatever to overcome. And sometimes it's better just to hand, even if you know what you're doing, it's better to hand your programming off to a trusted, to a trusted colleague, um, to handle that for you. And then you can transition from a thinker to an athlete, you Mm -hmm. know, and that's where those, those, those types of, um, that relationship works really well when you have a coach that is the thinker and the athlete just behaves like an athlete. And just mm-hmm. now that take that's a, like that takes a long time relationship to like my client Shelly that just won at the Worlds, um, the IPF Worlds this past weekend. We have that relationship, but I've been working with her very intensively online for like six years mm-hmm. and I have her trust, you know, fully. And so she doesn't question what I say. She doesn't insert a lot of her own opinions into it. Um, she may tell me she doesn't like something or whatever, but we've got that kind of relationship where she just here's the workout now go do it. And that, if, if that, if all that's working, if the coach is competent enough for that to work and the athlete has the right mindset, that, that to me, that, that works really, really well. Um, and so a lot of coaches, it's necessary, if they're also competitors, it's necessary for them to hand that off to somebody else so they can make that transition from the thinker to just the actor and just being the athlete that just hears the workout and, it just execute. Exactly. And that's really, really hard to do when you're writing program. It's, it's almost impossible to do when you are both the coach and the athlete of yourself. And I really, really admire guys that do that at a, at a yeah. high level. And there's a few that do, there's a few that operate at a really, really high level that do all of their own programming. Um, and I really have a lot of respect for those guys because it's not easy to do. Some of their machines. I've, one thing you said, um, yeah. And maybe we, we can wrap it up with this is that, you know, kind of the expectations for progress in the beginning, you're probably going to get some rapid progress just because you're getting a new stimulus. This is something new to you. You're probably going to be really consistent. And those results that you get are motivation enough to stay consistent. And then at some point you, your progress starts to slow down. And that's when you have to take a step back and, and decide that you're going to make the process of showing up every day, the goal that keeps you motivated because the wins are going to come in 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 longer increments in between the progress is going to look slower and that's what you have to do over the long term is is to make showing up every day and getting a little bit better the goal 
at some point when things start to slow down. And I want everybody that hears this to know that enjoy those newbie gains at the beginning, uh, celebrate them, let them motivate you, and then be ready at some point to shift over to being more process uh, driven than just goal driven. It, it, it has to be. And even if you are goal driven, the, the patience factor cannot be overlooked. And this, this is actually something the the numbers on this didn't, it, it, it's odd to me that I've been doing this as long as I have. And the numbers didn't really land on me as hard as they landed on me, I guess maybe about a year ago, where if you think I was just explaining it to somebody and I kind of wowed myself um, with like, wow, I've never thought about the math on that. But if you, if you think of five pounds per week of progress, and let's say, um, as Rip likes to say, you miss two weeks out of the year for, for a funeral in the flu, which actually most people are going to miss more than two weeks. But let's say even you're really dedicated, you know, and you train, you train hard, let's say 50 weeks out of the year, you know, and you go up five pounds per week. That's 250 pounds per lift a year. That's not going to happen. In two years, you would be benching 500 pounds. And so when you look at it like that, it becomes a lot easier to accept progress that's slower than five pounds a week on average, because you realize now maybe on the deadlift. Yeah. I mean, you could average, will you get that? But on average, could you get a, a pretty gifted guy to 500 pounds on a deadlift in two years? Yeah, that's, that's definitely doable. Uh, not for everybody. Um, but that's doable. You know, a 500 pound bench press in two years, that's not going to happen. You know, maybe for the the tiny meekers of the world, the, the 1100 pound benchers and all that. But, but the, the rest of us, there's no way, um, that's just not possible. Um, you know, and so what that, what does that mean? What are the implications of that? The implications of that is that your progress on average is going to be much slower than five pounds per week. And so if you're been training for two years and you're not getting five pounds per week and you're banging your head against the wall thinking what's wrong with me, nothing, because if you zoom out and realize that that, that, that rate of progress is, is not a realistic expectation for 90% of the human population, um, then it becomes a lot easier to accept. Even five pounds per month, if you say, on average, I'm going to get five pounds per month, that's still 60 pounds a year on a lift. That's actually, uh, on a bench press or a press, that's actually pretty good. You know, if you add, if you add 60 pounds a year to your bench press, as a, as a, someone that's been training for longer than, you know, a few months or a year or something like that's actually not bad progress. Mm-mm. Um, if you add that up, you know, I don't want to embarrass myself with the math, but it's like, you know, if you're at, <laughs> year, at the end of your first year, say you bench press 200 pounds and then you're at 260 and then you're at 320 and then you're at 380 and then you're at four, what is it? 440, 440. like, or whatever, like, yeah, that's yeah. Legit. So, um, yeah, I mean that, and it's not. I mean, so even that, even even the five pounds a month, is is actually exceptionally fast progress. Um, like for a bench press, now maybe for a squat or a deadlift, maybe that's more of a reasonable expect. Like to me, that sounds like more reasonable squat and deadlift numbers. You know, your guys that you know put more into their nutrition and are more consistent and tra- train harder in the gym may go a little faster than that for a few years. But you know, certainly when you've been at it for five, 10 years, like even five pounds a month on average, um, would be considered significant progress. And for, so that what the default position for a lot of people is like life kind of tends to derail you by itself. You know, Mm -hmm. you get COVID for, you know, you get a bad bout of COVID or you break your ankle, you know, snow skiing or you're, 
you know, you have a, you know, really traumatic incident with, with family, or, you know, you have some really stressful transition with your job and your, your head is just not in your training, you know, that that's just called real life, you know, and a lot of your top level athletes, what people don't realize, like a lot of your top level power lifters make a lot of life sacrifices to be where they're at. Mm-hmm. And for, for not a lot of return, because there's, you know, other than, you know, making money on YouTube videos or whatever, there's still, there's not a lot of money in that sport. Um, but you know, the, the, the guys, the guys that want to be at the top, a lot of stuff is sacrificed to be there. Their social interactions, their, even their job, they're not, they're taking jobs that they can orient around their training, not the other way around. You know, they're not dragging into the gym at eight 30 at night after a 12 hour workday or whatever, you know, they're, they're taking jobs where they're four o'clock, you know, or, or they, you know, whatever. Um, and so it's, it, it, you know, your marriage can take a hit on it, especially when you compete. That's like with bodybuilding, especially, but even with higher level powerlifting, it's such a self-absorbed endeavor at the highest levels. You know, once it kind of transcends what a, a hobby, there's significant sacrifices that you have to make financial sacrifices, you know, career sacrifices, family sacrifices, you know, and for a lot of people, including me, those are not sacrifices I'm willing to make. And I'm not going to sacrifice my relationship with my, with my kids and my wife and say, well, we're not going to do anything on the weekends and we're not going to take vacations because dad has to train. Right. You know, that's, that's just not a sacrifice I'm willing to make. It's not that high up on my totem pole. Training for me is important, but it's realistically, it's probably like number four, you know, three or four in yeah. my life. There's other factors, you know, that are more, that are more important than that. And so, but that, what that says when training is three or four on your list of priorities, what by definition, what that means is I'll never be a, top level competitor. Yeah. You know, and that, and that, that lines okay. up with our clientele you know? too. Right. Of course it does. And so you have to tell it's about the, keep the big picture goal in, in sight. What is the main reason that you're doing this? You think you're going to win Mr. Olympia? You think you're going to win the IPF, you know, the IPF worlds? No. So what? You, you, don't worry about it. You know, get as strong as you can get. I always try to tell people, big goals are important. You know, I want to bench 300 or I want to, you know, deadlift this or whatever. But the reality is you can't, if you're at 150 pounds today on a lift and you want to get to 300 there, the only road to that, don't worry about 300. The only road to that is to get to 155 Mm -hmm. and then get to 160 and then get to 165. Don't worry about 300 pounds. You can write it down on your mirror or put it in a book or a journal or whatever you want to do that motivates you. But the, the only way that you're going to get there is by getting to that next little increment, you know, and if you can stay focused on that, those little small increments forward, you'll get to where it is that you're supposed to be sooner. You'll look up one day and realize, holy shit, I just deadlifted 300 pounds. And that's because you, you, you didn't go from 135 saying I got to get to 300. You went from 135 to 140 to 145 to 150. And that's the, regardless of the program that you choose or whatever, that has to be your focus is, going to that next increment at, you know, as soon as possible, knowing that that it might take me a little while to get to that next increment because I can't go up five pounds a week anymore. So may yeah. I may have to accumulate several weeks of training stress before my body is ready to demonstrate a five pound improvement. But that's the only thing I can control is I can't, there's no bridge from 150 to 300. There's no bridge from 250 to 300. There's only a bridge from 250 to 255. And there's only a bridge from 255 to 260. There's no bridge that goes up from 250 to 300. And so getting frustrated at these these arbitrary landmarks 
um, is, is, is pointless. And the other thing I would tell people, and this is really important from the consistency part and the, the, the patience part is keeping social media in context. Um, because social media is a highlight reel of everybody else. And when you watch a lot of Instagram or YouTube or whatever it is that you do, if you're in our world, it will make you feel like you're the only guy in the world, not deadlifting 600. Because, but you're, what you realize is that the amount of people that are on there, you're only getting a very small sliver of the population and they're posting their highlight reels. And what you're not seeing is the tens of thousands of people that aren't even on Instagram. But if they are, they're not posting their very mediocre, failure-filled workouts. You know what I mean? You're like you think you're the only guy that was supposed to deadlift two two twenty-five for five today and only got it for two. And you're like, well, what's right. wrong with me? It's like nothing's wrong with you. There's there's a million other people that had the same shitty workout you did today. They just didn't post it on Instagram because nobody <laughs> wants to see a guy fail a two twenty-five deadlift. But the reality is you're not alone in that. And there's no reason to be ashamed or embarrassed at your struggles or to get frustrated with it because you're just not seeing it. And the only reason that you should use social media is to see what's possible, not as a comparison. You can only compare you to you. The amount of differences between all of us and our genetics, people don't want to admit that, but there's genetic differences between people. Um, some people are going to be more apt to have great physiques and bigger numbers than you are. And that's just the reality. So it's it, and and some people started this when they were fifteen. Some people started it when they were fifty. You know, some people have have had catastrophic injuries in their past, and some people haven't. And so, the to try to compare you to other people is pointless. Just compare you to you, and focus on those things, and realize that social media. Again, like I have a client. I was talking about Shelly. She's seventy-one years old and just won the IPF Masters. I don't. When I show a client that in my gym. I'm not show, showing that to say, here's what you need to be doing. What's wrong with you? How come Shelly's squatting 255 and you're barely squatting 65? You know, I'm not saying, I'm saying, look at this lady realizing she's genetically, you know, at the tip of the spear and has also made significant sacrifices in her own life to achieve this. And look at her yeah. and see what's possible. Not, not that you're going to catch her. But that you, where you're currently at, you're capable capable of a hell of a lot more than you think you are. Yeah. And you're you're putting a self limiting belief that that squatting sixty five pounds is too much. And I'm telling you, it's not because look at where this is at. Now you don't have to get all the way to her, but you can get a lot further than you think you are. And that's the only way you should use social media is to look at it and learn from people and see what's possible, but not as a comparative thing. And if you really struggle with that, if it really, if you log off of a, a, you know, sit there scrolling on Instagram for 20 minutes, watching people lift more weight than you, and you get off of there feeling bad about yourself and feeling down and depressed and defeated, just delete it. Yeah. Get off of it, you know, because it's not helping you, you know, and if you, if you use it and you look at it, somebody that's doing better than you and you say, fuck yeah, I want to do that. Like, and you're inspired to go to the gym and try to, and try to catch that person or you know, get closer to that ideal, whatever, then that's good. The social media can, can help you, um, maybe motivate yep. you. But if it's the opposite, I tell people just get rid of it. It's serving no purpose, you know, and yeah. it, it's just compare you to you and only chase the only numbers you need to beat or whatever the numbers you did yesterday. I like it, man. Yeah. That's, a, that's an important distinction to make. Cause it's not going to get, it's not going to change anytime soon. 
So besides the books, um, what's the best w- way for people to connect with you if they're in the Houston area and they want to, um, you know, train with you in person or train at your facility and, and what's the best way to find for people to find you online and potentially work with you online too? Um, so the best way, if you're local to Houston area, is just kingwoodstrength.com. Um, or just if you Google, you know, Andy Baker, personal training or something like that, it'll come up, um, uh, online, best place to go, andybaker.com. Um, so I've got there, I've got a bunch of different options for people. I've got, uh, coaching slots open. If you want to do really intensive one-on-one online coaching, I do that. Um, if, if you're don't need or not ready for that level of commitment and you want more of like group programming type thing, um, with a lot of interaction, still a lot of interaction with me, I've got a private Facebook group and a private forum, um, and group programming that I do. It's a Baker, the Baker barbell club online. Um, that's also, you can access that through andybaker.com. Um, and then I've got templated programs. If you're just looking for, you just want kind of some guidance of, you know, I want to, Hey, I want a basic, you know, three day a week, intermediate strength program. You can download a $25 program and follow that. Or I want a four day a week hypertrophy based program. You can download that and, um, and have some guidance. So, um, I've got options that kind of for everybody that wants a lot of help and a lot of interaction and a lot of specificity and individualization to some people that are just wanting, you know, just wanting a, a, a little bit of a roadmap. Yeah, that's good, man. I've, I've run, um, two of your programs before years and years ago and had really good results. So, uh, if anybody's listening, I can vouch for Andy firsthand too. So, man, I sure appreciate your valuable yeah, time I just, today. I design all the programs for the average guy. So. That's me. That's me. Average genetics over 40. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But yeah, man, I really appreciate this. Uh, I think everybody's going to get a lot of good information out of this. So once again, thanks for your time. Well, good. Thank you for having me on. I enjoyed it. I'll come back at any all time. Right, Thank you all for listening. We truly appreciate it. But real quick, before we go, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. Be sure and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Digital Barbell for all of the latest and greatest free content. If you're interested in working with Blakely and I, we'd love to talk. Apply for coaching with the link in the description of this episode or by visiting digitalbarbell.com. We'd love to talk about helping you reach your goals with a training and nutrition program built just for you. Thanks again and have a great day.